everybody, and welcome to the Words of Whiskey podcast, episode 24. I'm your host, Henry, and I'm once again joined by my co-host, Tom. Hello! It feels like it's been quite a while since we've done an episode, because I think it was. It, it, I think we may have missed a month. Yeah, but I got busy, and so it took me a while. So. And I got COVID. <clears throat> yes, you did. I'm glad to see you're better now. Thank and you. Otherwise, I would be here with like a giant screen in front of my face, but... Fortunately, you could do it from a hospital bed. Fortunately, you didn't have to go to hospital. <laughs> if, if it was bad, and you could do it from a hospital bed. That's morbid, as that is. Yeah, yeah. Great start. Great start. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think the previous episode I got busy, so it took me a while to get edited and out. So yeah, yeah I think it has been about a month, month and a half, two, maybe even two since uh, our previous episode. Two months. Yes. Yeah, yeah it could have been, actually. Yeah. Been. So yeah, so... Well, whiskey, because well, whiskey. Yes, this whiskey, this, this whiskey, whiskey that we're going to have today has bourbon. been sit- no, no, it's bourbon whiskey. Bourbon whiskey um, has been sitting on my desk for about oh, well, since about November, so about five six oh, months. God. Yeah, because I I bought it because we agreed to split the bottle. Yes, we did. But then uh, we haven't we had other whiskeys to try before that, and so we've only just getting around to this. And can I just say it is a beautiful bottle. We'll be putting pictures of it up on our Instagram, I believe. Yes. And it is absolutely beautiful. It's ha- the it's, Part of the label is ha- handwritten. Part of the handwritten label. And it's all in like this old parchment-y type material. And then the bottle is... What What would you call the shape, Henry? Not... It looks round. like a decanter. Yeah. It doesn't look like a bottle. It looks more like a decanter. Well, first of all, do you want to say what bottle it actually is? Ah, yes. This is a Blanton's. Yes, Blanton's uh, original single barrel bourbon whiskey. And this we were recommended this by a mutual friend of ours who raved about it, um, and we've never tried it. And then a bottle happened to be available at um, my work, so I got us a bottle, and yeah, it's sat around for a few months until we could actually get around to trying it. I will just preface: I'm just getting over a cold. It wasn't COVID, luckily, but it's I not my fault. Look at me. <laughs> I've still got a bit of a cough, so if you hear me cough in the episode, that's why. Yeah, so friend of ours completely raved about this, and I know I think Blanton's is absolutely massive in the states, and it's really difficult to get a hold of out there. Like it sells for almost double what it's really valued at, and people like queue up and everything to for shops to get a hold of it. Whereas, really? it, yeah, whereas here in the UK, it's actually I think some people know of it's kind of it's so-called prestige and so we'll seek it out but I don't think it's quite nearly quite as big over here as it is in the States I think it's very popular in the States and people I've spoken to here say it's not quite as big a thing well some people will seek it out because of like I said the prestige but can I just say the um, top of this bottle the, um, the cork or yeah the it? cork here's a cork the stopper the stopper it's got this amazing little model it's a what is that? It's a racehorse. It's a racehorse, but it's like cast iron, isn't it? What's it made from? It's metal. It's, it's definitely metal or something. But apparently, with these, is there's eight different varieties of Blantons, and um, each one that um, the horse on top is slightly different, oh. and it's got a letter underneath which spells out Blantons. And apparently, if you put them together, they look like then you, then you just go path to the Blantons tomb where you can get the treasure. Yes? No. Oh, okay. No, just apparently, you look like a, a horse. Uh, galloping or running in a race. Oh, so I see. People, people collect the the stoppers. Um, then, of course, yeah, some of the uh, 
some of the varieties are even more expensive than this one was. It'll be uh, interesting to see whether we consider it worth the price we paid. Right, it, was, it, the fuss. it wasn't stupid expensive, but I think it's probably one of the more expensive bottles we've had on the podcast. I think it is the most expensive bottle we've had on the podcast. Yeah, quite, quite possibly, actually. Yeah, it probably is. <coughs> anyway, I think closely followed by the red breast, which was £50. Yes, that was actually our very fir- the very first whiskey we had. Yeah, and the nicker from the barrel, that was 45 Yeah. That must be... Inf- oh, but um, the hand sake was much more than that, actually. That was about 50 wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, they're probably the next two. But, yeah, this, I think 75 Yeah, quite for 75 so... Oh, oh we're gonna, I'm going to take the stopper out. I'm going to take the stopper out. Yay! That was quite scotchy, I must admit. It was. I was expecting... Oh, maybe it's once you take the cork. Yes, that looks. It looks like you t- take the cork off. Yeah, and don't, you don't, take, it, don't take it off. Yeah, because we, until we finish the bottle. But I think possibly once we finish the bottle, we can take the cork off it, and then the letter I imagine will be underneath that. Anyway, shall we try some? Yes, Henry, we shall. Yes, please. Do you want me to hold something? I'm not gonna pour it like that because I can just see myself dropping the bottle. Okay, we've developed, as beautiful, thank you very much, as this bottle is, we found a design flaw. It's hard to pour. Well, that was, that was because I was trying to pour it from the bottom, which I didn't think. It still looks quite difficult. It's full of liquid, so it's a bit heavy, on the heavier side. What's yeah. all this gymnast for, then? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, this is the first bourbon we've had for a while on the podcast. What's the last one we had? I don't, it might be Eagle Rare. Eagle probably. Rare, which was possibly back in our first year. Yeah. But... Just even outside of the podcast, it's been a long time since I've had a bourbon. I usually I go for Woodford or Eagle Rare, but I haven't had had a bottle myself for ages. The only bourbons I've tried recently were for work-related stuff, and even then, those were just small st- samples. They weren't even like full bottles. But anyway, let's let's give it a sniff. Give it a sniff. Very bourbony. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> steep nose in too far. Yeah, sort of oaky sweetness. Yeah, so it is very reminiscent of what I would get from Woodford or Eagle Rare. Yeah, that exact pretty classical bourbon. Yeah, it smells nice though, but mm-hmm. I'm not picking out anything that makes me think, "Oh, this is really different from other bourbons I've known." That's true. Might be a different in, in taste. Who knows? But it's a lovely. Um, so you want me to fry that out? Almost golden brown colour. Like a dark amber. Yes, dark amber. That's a good descriptor. Right, most importantly, taste test. Cheers. Cheers. Wood. Oaky. Yeah. Very oaky. Mm, I like it when they were oaky. Bit of spice at the end. Yes. A little bit of sweetness. Mm. Bourbons do tend to have that sort of slightly sweeter like, not that you really class whiskies as sweet yeah it's nice very nice very, very nice very soft on the palate easy drinking mm-hmm. but I have to say I think for the price point I think I would still pick up maybe a Woodford or a Eagle Rare I don't I'm not finding it as heavy as Woodford maybe I just drank too much last time I had some Woodford but it, it, Woodford tastes stronger that makes sense. This one is, is much, I think, it's much easier on the palate, as you said. But I know what you mean. Considering it's yeah. literally twice the price. Oh, it's nice. I'm, 
I'd happily I'm gonna sit here and drink more. Yeah. But um I don't know. I may, it, granted it has been a long time since I've had Eagle Rare or Woodford, but we'd have Eagle Rare again to compare, I think. Yeah. Oh, another bourbon we had, Wild Turkey. Long oh box. yes. But that, that had that mesquite element to it, which kind of made made it stand out to me. Yeah. Yes, actually yeah, that's 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 we had that about February last year, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um no, this is nice, but yeah, very heavy on the woody flavour. That slightly spicy, peppery note, and it kind of really lingers at the back of my throat, which is really nice. But it's nothing unique. Um, but yeah, I'm not picking... It's, it's just solid bourbon. Tastes, yeah. tastes good. To be fair, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. No, it's nice. But I mean, I'm I'm glad that we, we've taken the opportunity to try it, because now we know it's it nice. It definitely wins the prettiest... I think that might be the prettiest bottle we've had on the podcast. Nah, Nick Neen. Oh, that was a very pretty bottle. I'm going with this one, though. I prefer this one. I like I like how it's handwritten. <laughs> I like all the old-style labelling. I like the pewter model on top. I think it's nice. Very drinkable. Mm-hmm. You'll definitely be pouring another glass. Or two. Or two. Or three. See how, see how it goes. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a good, solid bourbon. I don't know whether I'll be rushing to buy another bottle, but hey, mm. if I got, if I got, if it's reduced or if it's on offer or yeah. if you've got a good opportunity, then why yeah. not? Or if um, someone offers you some, I've got some blandness, want to try a few drams, it'd be like, yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, or if I was getting it for like, if I knew people like blandness and they're like, hey, let's get a bottle for a special occasion, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%. But would you buy it as a gift for someone? If I knew they liked it, yeah. But it's not one you would take a risk on. I think... <sighs> If I hadn't tried it, maybe not. But I think uh, now I've tried it, I kind of know what. It's quite a safe one, isn't it? Like if you know someone likes other bourbons, there's a good chance they'll like this. Yeah, particularly sort of if they're like, oh, it's got. Well, like I said, it's, it has that kind of in the states at least. It's kind of got that prestige about it. So you could uh, probably get it for someone who likes bourbon. They'd be very happy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we tried it. Yeah, me too. But uh, carrying on with the whiskey, are you ready for a little bit of <coughs> whiskey trivia? Do I have to remember this one? Don't know. I might. I might be preparing a final test for this year. Well, seeing as we were having a bourbon and bourbon's American, I thought I would have a little bit of American whiskey trivia. Ah. So, George Washington was the only founding father to commercially operate a distillery. At the time, it was one of the biggest distilleries in operation. However, unfortunately, it was destroyed by a fire a few years oh. after it opened. Unfortunately, I, I um, didn't find the name of it. I'll have to... Uh, or, the, or the date? No. Yeah, I'll have to find the name at some other point. <coughs> I could possibly add it in as in the notes or something for the episode. But yeah, I, uh, until I looked that up, I had no clue that George Washington had owned a distillery. Let alone that it burnt down. <laughs> anyway, on to books. Now, I said, I told you before the episode, I'm going to go first. Yes. Because I have something interesting to say. Oh, exchange. For the first time in a long time, <coughs> since the court of the air, I have given up on a book. Oh! And to make it even more controversial, not controversial, but make it more interesting, it was a non-fiction book. It was Oh, I know the fiction of what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because I, I think... You I was, told me about this a few months... Was it? Yeah, it was ages ago. Yeah, it, it was quite a while ago since I read it. Um, it was a non-fiction book, which, yeah, I actually really struggled with. And eventually, I got to a certain point, I was like, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up on this. I didn't so what was, it, what was it about that you didn't like? So the book was The Cost of These Dreams by Wright Thompson. It was... So it's broken down into different chapters, each focused on a different individual in sport. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how how their time in the sport has had like an impact on their life, be it like break, break down of family relations, injury, or just like um, other weird circumstances like like becoming famous and that fame leading to um, mental health issues or something mental health issues or them having health issues or drink or whatever that's just really weird it's really intrigues me why someone would make a book out of this because if I went on to do something and it's caused me all sorts of uh, problems emotionally physically or with my relationships the last thing I want is someone else to be reading it for their entertainment so the, why would I tell you? Why if I know you're just going to make money out of my misfortune? Might have helped a bit more. Yeah, sure. Was, so Wright Thompson, I think he's an American. He was an American sports journalist. And yes. So a lot, of course, he was writing articles. So you already knew all of this. We even talked to these people. So yeah, he'd spent he'd spend time with these people and talk to these people. But he so he wrote all of it. He'd go off and do research and go to places like uh, one of them was on um, Lionel Messi, the f- football player who. He's not an Argentinian player. What, 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 what happened to him? Well, it was, it, uh, so that his chapter was on how the town town where he grew up in, he's not really super celebrated in, in Argentina. Oh, why not? Um, well, it's because he moved. He we went, went off to it, play for other people. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, of course, I don't think the Argentinian... I don't know. I don't really follow football, so I don't really know how well the Argentinian football team ever do in football. But... Um, yeah, so it was like that, and then there's one on Michael Jordan, um, and how he's kind of, although he's retired from basketball, he's still kind of obsessed with the game. It it was it was weird because going into it, I thought it was going to be more on like sports psychology and like performance mindset, which is a subject I find really interesting. I really like like mental fit fitness and like people with like mental edges and that sort of psych psychology aspect so I going in I thought it was going to be about that I thought it would be like um, the cost of these dreams I was thinking oh it's going to be like a sport it would talk about what happened to them but also how they didn't let it affect them in their sport yeah I thought it was going to be like a sport psychology um, hidden edge sort of type of affair and no it's each of these individual chapters of just and the problem was a lot of the sports it's American sports which I don't know much about didn't yeah either didn't know much about or didn't care for like one baseball yeah. American football yeah one on American football one on uh, wrestling and just didn't care for them I didn't and it's it was it got to a particular chapter where it was about a football team American football team but the chapter went in so many different directions I kind of comp- and it was unfortunately it was the longest chapter in the book as well and it just went in so many different weird ideas talking about the football team and then the town where it's from I think it was um, where did Hurricane Hurricane Katrina hit I can't remember no, no. no I'm blanking I can't do it yeah um, but it was like the city or town where Hurricane Hurricane Katrina hit and the football team from there and and then it was talking about that and the town and the town getting over and how it was connected to football but then it was talking about the owner of the team and then his weird family relations and breakdowns and that I was like I I was like I I completely lost the point of where this chapter was going <laughs> and it was at that point I was like I, I, I did make it about two thirds of the way through the book 
And then I was kind of like skimming through the rest of it. I was like, okay, there's two more chapters, which I kind of feel like reading, and then the rest I'm going to skip. So I read those two chapters and just put it down. It was like, I think it was, I, I went in with the wrong perceptions of what it was going to be about. And then, of course, it talked about sports. I wasn't hugely interested. So, and yeah. And people you hadn't heard of. Yeah. And it was just, like I said, there was that weird chapter where you kind of, there were a few chapters where I couldn't, I think there was some sort of point, but I kind of lost it in the quagmire of information. Yeah, in the quagmire of information I didn't overly care for and wasn't hugely... So I think it's just unfortunate that I just... I wasn't overly invested. It was a different subject to what I thought it was and I didn't get overly invested in it. But interestingly, I've got a book about a whiskey distillery by the same author... So it's going to be interesting to read that at some point and see... If that's more interesting. So so this sports journalist also wrote a book about a whiskey distillery. Yeah, because I heard about it on a podcast where he was talking about this... this, um, So I think it's about the family who set up... Have you ever heard of Pappy Van Winkle? Don't think so. um, It's like very famous. That sounds like a name I would remember. (laughs) Uh, It's a very famous bourbon. Sort of like Blanton's. It's very sought after and um, some of the bottles go for thousands of pounds. Thousands of dollars, rather. So he was writing about that and I think about the family um, who set it up. And so I was into the podcast and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And then they t- talked a bit about this other book. Uh, and and you thought the, you'd read this one first? Yeah. And so the next, because the name caught, uh, it's about sports and I thought, oh, maybe it's about the mental side, or like the psycholo- psychological side. Sounds like a severe case of not reading the blurb. No, but that's the thing, I read the blurb. And, and, it, I, and it didn't d- dissuade you of the notion? No, no. And so... Yeah, it's just unfortunate case of just didn't, I just didn't. Although, although there was a bit right at the start in the introduction where he wrote about why people, why we read. It was like a little. It was something he wrote, and I wrote it down. So I think it was a really good quote. Fortunately, haven't got it with me right now. But he, the, the way he summarised why people love stories, uh, like sports stories or film, TV, music. Uh, particularly particularly like sort of non-fiction stuff oh <laughs> I rolled my eyes but the way uh, I'll um, put a timestamp on this and I'll insert the quote somewhere because I think it's really good but it basically perfectly encapsulated the reason I love non-fiction is that it's just these amazing interesting stories kind of paraphrasing but yeah. anyway, I'll insert the quote because it'll do, <laughs> do it so much more justice than I can So, to insert the quote, here it is. It seems to me that the point of studying other people, whether through a sports story or a novel or a song or a movie, is to organise our thoughts and construct a framework that might help us better understand ourselves. That was the one bit of the book that I really liked. Was the The introduction. (laughs) (laughs) The introduction where he said a a point where I was like, ah, yes, that perfectly encapsulates what I feel. And that's really cool. That's a really good way to phrase that. That's excellent. But um, yeah, just unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it. So for the first time in a long time, I gave up on a book. And then I read um, a book I much more enjoyed, which was The Hero Code, which is uh, uh, William McRaven, Admiral William McRaven, who I've mentioned on the podcast yep. before, author yep. of Make Your Bed. Again, it's about similar size, sort of size to his previous book, Make Your Bed. It's a really short, really nice, easy read. And again, it just perfectly encapsulates part of the reason I love non-fiction is because he 
he was talking about stories of his time in the military, but he's also telling other people's stories. And sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. And it's just what I liked was he told a story. One of them stuck with me where he had to go. And I think he was in, <coughs> I can't remember where he was. He was in Iraq or Afghanistan or something or somewhere. And President Obama had um, flown in to visit or actually it might have been in the States, I can't remember where he was, but he had to go visit President Obama, pulls up to this airbase, and there's a, um, there's a airman at the gate, and she won't let him through, and he's, he, at this time, he's a, so his, um, one of his members of staff goes up to her and says, let us through, we're here to see the President, she's like, I haven't been given authorization. you can't go through, another more senior member of his staff goes along and says, you've got to let us through, the admiral's here to see the president. <laughs> Why aren't you there? Through and she's like, I haven't been given authorization. I'm here to guard the gate because the president is here. Eventually, he goes up. I'm here to see the president. Can you let me through? And she's like, I'm sorry, sir. He's, he, she's like a private or something, and he's a four star admiral. And she's like, I'm sorry, sir. I haven't been given authorization. It's my job and my duty to guard this gate. Enough. Goes and goes back to Sky and says, like, he's then like half an hour late for this supposed meeting with the president. And she eventually lets them through because she gets authorization. And so he has this meeting with the president and he comes back out and goes to the, um, that was me, like, you realize I'm a four star admiral. Um, you, because uh, you didn't let me through, I was half an hour late to my, to this meeting with the president. So, yes, so I understand that, sir, but it was my duty to guard this gate. And until I was told to let you through, I would not let anyone through. And he's like, good, you did your job. Well done. And he <laughs> gave her like a one of his like special commemorative coins as well. Oh. And so what I really liked about that, and again, this is why I really like certain like non, certain non-fiction I really like, because you hear these stories. Like you would never have heard that story about this guardswoman if he hadn't wrote it down but it's just like that that moment where it's reality is stranger than fiction in a way it's just something cool and it's just something different and yeah so yeah I, I really enjoyed that book it was a very quick read <coughs> I finished it in like two days because it's only like a hundred pages mm-hmm. but yeah I, I like his stuff it's again probably one I very quick re- read I'll probably go back to but yeah so yeah, those are two of the two non-fiction books I've read in the past couple of months. Both very different, but yeah, interesting that for a long time, in the f- first time in a long time, I had yeah, I had to give up on a book because I was like, I'm done. I think I d- <coughs> I want to move on to something else, <laughs> something that actually is interesting. <coughs> yeah. Anyway, Tom, what have you been reading? So speaking of things <laughs> that are actually interesting. Um, one of the things that I read in the last month is a book called Never Die by Rob J. Hayes Um, I recognise that name Rob J. Hayes is very big in the indie publishing community because I'm pretty certain he he has this um, blog where he uh, uploads all of all loads of new upcoming authors he gives them free publicity on his very popular blog like, I don't know if it's monthly or whatever, but he puts up loads of people um, on there, so uh, all his fans, millions of fans, can see people that he recommends, which gets them out in the world, and it's very kind. And I'm pretty certain he's involved in a, if we get this right, self-publishing fantasy book blog-off, 
which is like an online competition. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. I can't remember that exactly. <laughs> exact name. the same. Um, where basically loads of independent book reviewers get band together to have a, like a competition of indie books, basically. To see which is, which is, which is best. Um, I, I can't remember the name exactly, and I'm pretty certain Bob J. Hayes is involved. And he's also written loads of really good books. Um, so he is quite well known, but and also for not having very many actually published books. And he's recently started writing a series called The Immortal Techniques, a bunch of standalone books that are set in a world heavily inspired by Chinese and Japanese mythology. Oh, I think you spoke about these on the previous videos because you said you're going to read them and you show me the covers and the covers look really cool. The covers are awesome. <laughs> um, so Never Die is the first one he wrote, I believe. And it's about um, a young boy who is tasked by, uh, given a task by a Shinigami, which in Japanese mythology are gods of death. So one of them gives this boy a task, and the task is to assassinate the emperor. And to do this, he's given the power to recruit a suicide squad, basically, of dead heroes. And it's really well, well written. It's not really a suicide squad if they're already dead. You don't know the, you don't know the odds they're up against. Yeah, but they're already dead. They're not going to die again. They can die again. Are they zombies? Read the book and find out. I'm not giving any more spoilers away. We'll lose our... We'll get a bad <coughs> There are whole... But like, well, we've, we've done spoilers before. I just put... In yeah, the but we haven't, we haven't given the, the warning yet. Also, you might want to read it. True. I, it does It does sound like... Yeah, it would be very much up your street. It's got one of the... It's one of those easy... Uh, easy to read, page-turning kind of style mm. of lots of the books I've recommended to you. Quite similar to um, some of the Chris Rudding, Jim Butcher stuff. Plus, like um, Harry Justin, which you could just binge read the whole 14 books. You could definitely easily binge read this. Mm. It's, and they had, this is my favourite part. Entire chapters devoted to samurai-style duels between some of the heroes. Okay, that sounds cool. So rather than it be in chapter 4 or chapter 5, it'll say, chapter 6, this guy versus this guy. And the whole chapter will just be a battle between them. That sounds pretty cool. Kind of like a... It's making me think of um, like Ghost of Tsushima. Yes, if Ghost of Tsushima had a bit more magic and monsters and was a book, then it would be this. Cool. I, sounds like one to add to the list. If I had a physical copy, I'd give it to you right now. Cool. I'll have to look out for a, I'll have to look out for a, spe- a second-hand copy or something. Highly recommend. Very highly recommend. Do you want to talk about more of my books, or do you have another book? Well, you, said, or... you said you had a couple more. Yeah, two more, so I and keep then, going. And then we'll go on to the two that we've both read. Okay. And we'll go into a bit more detail on those. So another book that I read in the last month, and I had to read it because of the name, is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor <laughs> Lavelle. <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't resist that title. Um, on them. What's it about? So it's about a young man struggling to make ends meet in 1920s New York. And he finds a new kind of hustle. Magic. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very poignant look at racism in America in those times. Because I don't think you could write, actually, about New York or America in the 20s and 30s without touching on the racism, because it was very bad. It's more of a novella, really, than a novel, I think. So it's very short. And, again, a really good writing style that you could just breeze through. A bit confusing, though, because it never open, actually says what the year is. Yeah. And because in the beginning it was talking about subway trains and subway stations and things like that, I actually thought it was the modern day at first. Hmm. But I was very confused. Because I don't think they had the... They might... Did they have the subway in the 1920s? 
Again, you're testing my history on the fly, which I could... I don't know. Because I know that the London Underground was founded in the Victorian age. Yeah. Because Queen Victoria said, why don't you put one of these trains on the ground? I'm pretty certain. So it's theoretically possible? I don't know. I can have a... Let's, let's do a quick old Google search, shall we? 1904. Ooh. New York City subway, 1904. In that case, they uh, definitely had the subway. London Underground was... Uh, 1863. So I was right, wasn't talking near it. Yeah. Well remembered. You've learned something new today, apart from the fact that Tom and Henry <laughs> like Blandons. Yeah, we can't remember history very well off the top of our heads. Can't remember that either. So, okay, I was just being thick then when I was reading this book. <laughs> but yeah, I love that one. And then, I have read quite a lot of books since our last podcast because it's been a long time. But I want to talk with one more. And I'll be quick. And you're not going to like it. Did I hear you mention The Court of the Air by Stephen oh, Hunter God. earlier? Is it, is it, is this is book three book in three. the series. You finally made it to book three. <laughs> yep. And um, book three. I wanted to mention it because in the world that already has crab people, zombie, zombie robot people, bat people, giant communist demon insect people, and in one memorable case, memorable case a sentient jungle, this book adds aliens, vampires, and vampire aliens. Mm. <laughs> We will eventually be videoing these podcasts, but for the listeners at home, Henry's head is currently in his hands, and he's making little frustrated noises our microphone can't pick up. I, 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 I would just... Aliens. Vampire Vampire aliens. aliens. <laughs> I would just... It's just struggle to wrap my head around that book. I, I got so confused in the first one where just suddenly all these different races get to appear. It's like, robots, crab people. Wait, they were crab people all along? I had no clue. Humans. And well, the characters from the first book actually came back in this book. Okay. Well, although a bit of time has passed. But, yeah, I, I couldn't get on with that. And, yeah, I, don't, I think I would struggle with that. Just wrap my head. Just, it just sounds absolutely ludicrous. And almost, the whole thing is completely bonkers. It's just like almost like there's too much crammed in there. But uh, it works somehow. For me, anyway, it works. So I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> you would hate it. I just wanted to mention it to see your face, and it was worth it. Yeah, thanks for that. You're welcome. Right, let's start with the Dragon Republic by Rebecca Quang. I really uh, apologies if I mispronounced that. So this is the second in the uh, Poppy War trilogy. I believe it's a trilogy. I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, I thought there were four books, but I think after having read it, I looked it up and I think it is a trilogy. But I thought, oh, I thought... He's was. writing another one. Okay, so maybe... Okay, maybe maybe it's a series then. <laughs> but, um, it was really good. I it really was really good. It. The first one was great. This one was really great as well. Was but, it better? I don't know. I like. I think I liked it a bit better because in this book, because they got a lot of world building and explanation of the magic out of the way, they just get on with actually doing things. There's no long training arcs or anything. It's interesting you mentioned the magic because I felt like there was a less less of an exploration of that element in it because there's the sh- the shaman and everything who Rin is it Rin Rin mm-hmm. Rin is she's part of this um, basically like spec ops group of shaman who basically they're like an assassination group or like suicide squad group and their magic sort of sets them <laughs> apart from the regular army yeah but I felt like they didn't 
really explore much of the other characters in that group. It was most, it was very focused on her, which is understandable because she's the main character. But I felt it, they didn't really explore many. This is probably my only gripe. They didn't really explore much more of the magic in it, and it was kind of you didn't see much more of the other shaman doing too much. This is very true, actually, which I I thought was a shame because I would have liked to have seen seen more of their abilities and more of an expl- exploration of some of those characters and it, it it was kind of lacking that which probably my only gripe with it I kind of want to see more of the magical element because a lot of it's very focused on the war but it's more like the the horrors of war and the well, that's the how, whole point yeah, of it I think and how sort of how much war of a slog war is because like the first half of the book is very focused on the campaign it's not slow but it's, it is very much like you were it's on... It's heavy going. It's yeah. very... It doesn't pull any punches emotionally no. at all. So or, a, a, or any... De- or descriptively, in a way. Or descriptively, yes. So like any any battle scene, it's not going to be some sort of... It's not like Lord of the Rings or whatever, where it's always honourable and good guys can cut down hordes of enemies with a single flick of their sword or whatever. It, it, it's brutal. Yeah. Literally brutal. But that's the thing. That's the, well, I think that first half works so well because it, it it feels like a slog, not not to read it. it like I was read it quickly, but you it's heavy going and it is like you're on campaign with the characters and you're witnessing what they did and what they saw and everything. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's tough. It's like you're there in the battles as well and you're seeing firsthand what's going on. So I really like that, and it's. Um, I think you said it took you a bit longer the first half than the second half. Yeah. I agree the second half does pick up a lot more and then there's a lot more going on. It's faster paced. But I think that first half was really well done. Yeah, I can't argue that. I think, like I said, there's plenty of punches. Everything is pulled off masterfully. There were a few bits where I struggled to make sense of what was happening. Normally the action sequences. So a particular case was when Rin goes up the Seas Tower. Because I'm pretty certain it said that the Seas Tower is on a different boat from her. And she says that she gets in the boat, as a smaller boat, rows to the Seas Tower, and then starts pulling herself and the boat up the Seas Tower. And it was just, the way it was described logistically was, was hard for me to picture what was actually happening. Mm. And there were a few bits like that which kind of broke my immersion a little bit. I know, yeah, I know the bit you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't find Maybe that. again, I was just being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I know the bit you mean, but... Um... I think it's fine, but yeah, I, the, the, I must ma- prefer the second half though. When they started having more magical orientated battles, yeah, but it's, yeah, again, it's a shame that some of the other, I felt like some of the other side characters were kind of pushed to the side, mm. um, and they could have been explored a bit more, and we could have seen a bit more of their magical element. And then, yeah, but is it, uh, it was really good. I liked. I think it's very well written, and but yeah, again, there's certain. Um, quite a few a lot of threads left for the next book yes it's, it's set up very well for the for the next one this still feels like there's a lot to happen so I think she's definitely going to have to I, don't, I can't see it getting finished up in one more book mm. I can see I can see it actually getting, I can see some of it but I still some, think that there'll be more to write some about of in it, that world I don't think that it would be I think well I mean because you've got the you sort of got um there's kind of a, s- a conclusion to the war, but then there's other things happening elsewhere in the world, like up in the north, which makes sense to you without spoiling stuff. Yeah. Um, and then kind of how Rin kind of 
is left at the end sort of separate of course you understand but um there's it there's quite a few threads left over and um sort of shifting character relations that you don't quite know how they're going to play out at the end mm-hmm. now that some of them broken and some of them are stronger and there's there's a lot to fit into the next book if that is the final one but i don't know whether it is but yeah it is it's, it's very well written perfectly encapsulates like the horrors of war but also very well describes the battles magic systems just freaking cool that's that's again that's the one slight gripe with the magic system is that the shamanism and everything it's it's like the 64 deities or something something yeah like that in the pantheon and they only ever talk about one or two really and it's like I don't even know who many of the others are and I kind of wish it had explored them a bit more I just saw more shamans yeah like there's at the start of the book there's like one, two, three, five. four, five, maybe six members of the psych. Yeah, and in the previous book, they'd mentioned a few other shaman. Yeah. And that's all we really know. So it's not like magic is common in the world, but it's like there are there are elements of it as the reader I kind of like wish had been explored more and get to know more. Like there's all these other deities and we've seen some of their characters who interact with them and so have some of their powers. But even then, we don't really know too much about it or about them. And then there's ones we don't even know. There's like 64 and we know about three, four or five of them. Yeah. And the Federation. I pre- I appreciate everything that happened in the previous book. But aside from just being a warmongery nation, we don't actually, actually know why they hate the Nakara so much or why they want to invade or why they are the way they are, or anything about their culture at all, really. Just rival nations fighting for resources and things like that. Well, no, because it's not about resources, because they never go and take any resources, do they? They just attack and kill everyone they can. Well, when they, they were trying to, like, establish a... Well, it's kind of like, um... Was it in the bit of history when, like, Japan invaded... Yeah, it's meant stuff. to be about, I think it's the second Sino-Japanese war. Yes, yeah, like, of course, they were trying to... The stage um, of World War Two. Do you say World War Two? Yeah. No, I'm talking about like ancient medieval Japan. Yeah, but like the, the what happens yeah. is heavily inspired by what the Japanese did in World War Two. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. But yeah. there's, there's no reference to anything samurai or anything like that because the samurai, their code of honor, probably would have prohibited them from doing at least some of the things the Federation does. No, don't you? No, no, no. I'm talking about like remember the. Uh, over Nobunaga the, the series on Netflix like where they um, they evade Korea yes yeah that's what I mean it's kind of like that where um, in in this fictional series that they're invading but it, like in the parallels to history they were invading because didn't they want to try like establish a beachhead or, almost and, yeah and yeah, maybe yeah. sort of start to colonise in a way I can't it's been, it's been a while since I've seen it but maybe that's like in the context of this the Federation we're trying to invade is it Nakara? Nakara 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 and I try and take some of the land for themselves because they're on a small island whereas this is like a part of a bigger continent so okay maybe- so aside from the <laughs> fact that they might want more land we know nothing about their culture oh no, no. We, know, we don't know why they hate the Nakara so much so they just want land. They'd take and fortify the land, wouldn't they? They wouldn't from pay to cross the nation. So we don't we don't know any, we don't know why, and we're not likely to find out now for reasons that we and you know. We also find out like they have connections to characters on Nakara who influence the war and everything. 
So that's part of the reason that they were kind of it, my my enemy's enemy is my friend or something along. Speculating here, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, we, we're being a bit vague for the listeners because yeah, for the people have like, no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> so we see about to talk about the actual book here rather than griping about the world building. Yeah, but yeah, no, excellent book. Mm-hmm. Def, def, have you have you got the third one or do we still need to pick it up? Need to buy it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Share it. <laughs> or I'll just borrow it off you like I did with the previous two. Then I can live on my shelf with everything else. Yes. Yep. Three, four, five. I need to get a new one soon. So they're, they're literally overflowing. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, you've got three separate bookshelves and yet next to one of them is a steadily increasing pile of books. It is increasing. That pile on the desk has just arrived yesterday. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, that's a lot of books. <laughs> worst, worst things to spend your money on, though. Well, books and whiskey. Books and whiskey. They're pretty much my main expenditures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, excellent book. Mm-hmm. Very well written. If you like sort of, if you're looking for like a different style of fantasy compared to like all the typical medieval stuff, this is really cool. Like the exploration of like Chinese mythology and just a different fantasy experience. I don't think I've read another fantasy quite like it. No, it's not quite as dark and gritty as um, Joe Abercrombie or, or or George R. R. Martin. No, it's not quite like that. It's got it has its dark elements. Definitely, I would say it counts as grim dark. I would definitely say it counts as a grim dark book. Grim dark. It's definitely not quite as heavy as those two. If you want something light hearted and humorous and just a quick fun read, it's not. It's not. This is not going to be that book. So yeah, I'd say fans of Jack Abercrombie would actually really like this book. Hmm. Well, I'm a fan of both books. Well, yeah. And uh, talking about Joe, Agra- Joe Abercrombie, that's the a perfect segue into our next book. Which is The Trouble with Peace by Joe Abercrombie. Which is the second in the Age of Madness trilogy. Indeed. Which is the sequel trilogy to the First Law trilogy, which we've discussed on the podcast before. And, lo- and love. Fantastic. And yeah, this is not a freaking fantastic Joe Abercrombie book. <laughs> remember me saying when I saw you a couple of weeks ago and, and or spoke to you and that there was a chapter coming up you were going to love? Was it the battle scene? Yeah. Yeah, because he just... <laughs> he just pulls it off again. That's the thing. That's the thing. I was like, there's no... How? How how can he keep doing this perfect way of doing chapters and make it great each time? And the way he did it this time was he starts the battle following different people, but at the start of the battle... Every time it changes perspective, it's not when they die. It's just like when they fire their weapon or something happens. But then as the chapter goes on, it shifts perspective from the people in the battle. When they die, it swaps perspective to the person who killed them. And then they're fighting and then they die and it swaps perspective again. Whereas at the start of the chapter, it was like um, some guy was preparing the cannons to um, fire and everything. and, um, And then it's it swaps perspective to someone who took cover and avoided the cannon fire and then the next thing they know there's uh, crossbow bolts being shot at them and then it swaps to perspective of the person who was shooting the crossbow but none of those characters die and then as it goes on it, it the battle continues it just it, flits backwards and forwards yeah. across the battlefield like a yo-yo or something yeah exactly like a zigzagging across like um, a pinball ball <laughs> yeah and it's just constantly shifting perspectives because from it really are, captures the chaos and um, disorderly like mess the, that battle is. 
Yeah, it perfectly encapsulates it. And that's... He's done it before, like in... The Heroes. The Heroes, that whole book is basically about a battle. But the chapter where... The two chapters where he does that, he started doing that. Because I don't remember it in the First Lord trilogy where he did... I don't think he does it. I don't think he did it there. But it's now kind of become a signature of his. It's freaking phenomenal writing. Mm. Because every character, they only get like a page, page and a half dedicated to them in that chapter. And yet they really feel like (laughs) real people. Yes. And you feel it when something happens to them. Yeah, you you feel like you know who they were. And it's just so well. It's like, how? How does he write that well? (laughs) It's so good. But yeah, (coughs) anyway, the rest of the book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's got so many twists, turns, interesting characters, and just so many plot twists I did not see coming. <laughs> particularly, particularly at the end of the book, I'm just like, this took a completely different turn to what I was expecting, and I love it. It's great. Didn't see any of it coming, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. I can't wait for the. Re- I can't wait to read the next book. I'm not telling you anything about the next book. Yeah, I told you to wait <laughs> so that we could read it together. And you were taking pages. <laughs> you have so many other books you could have read. Anyway. <laughs> I, I won't go on the rant but um, yeah it's just the way he writes the way he captures characters even like the main characters like their thoughts and feelings and also how the characters change with time so like um, there's one of the characters who earlier in the in the previous book he's kind of he's not unlikable he's a bit soppy he does he doesn't really do his best but then over the process of this next book he kind of begins to come into himself he kind of begins to develop a bit he of a he grows back. and matures he, yeah he grows and matures and you see that journey and you're like oh I didn't dislike you before but you weren't my favourite character and you, you're actually you're actually developing and I'm seeing it and you're actually becoming a better character for it and then it's again it's like other characters are were really built up and now they've kind of fallen from grace and they're so different to what they were in the previous books yeah I'm trying I'm saying it with avoiding spoilers we maybe we'll touch on spoilers in a minute but anyway I've gone on quite a bit about it <laughs> what did you think avoiding spoilers it's been quite a while since I've read it and I've read it uh, in fact it's been a year since I've read it I, I think looking back um, and I read it back to back with A Little Hatred also by Joe Abercrombie which was the book that preceded it so I actually struggled to remember what happened in The Trouble with Peace and what happened in A Little Hatred obviously I know the end of The Trouble with Peace I know that half of the book but the first half I'm like was that Trouble with Peace by that point or was it Little Hatred um, but it was Joe Abercrombie at his finest hmm. nailed everything and yeah I get what you mean about he's really good at picture at so- showcasing Right, hum- humanity rising and falling. You know, like, like people's luck or their good times running out, and they, uh, as you say, fall from grace. And it's, he really does it well. Yeah, it's interesting, like how how the characters are so kind of diverse and they change and they do unexpected things. But also, some parts of it is just very human. It's like you can understand why they did what they did, and it's like they made a mistake or. Actually, they've done something quite brave or something quite stupid or foolhardy, and it's yeah, it's it's, it's well done. It does have it. It has its darker elements. It's <coughs> quite a bit of it's about war and this darker side to it and violence. Again, there's sort of there's that magical stuff lingering in the background. I'm just like, 
hasn't they haven't touched on it for a while there's a character I know who's lurking in the background I'm just like when am I going to see you again <laughs> I know you're there I'm just waiting to see what you're doing you're putting your puppet strings and everything it's just I know you're not going to say anything but if a wisdom of crowd ends like the last argument of kings does where all the threads come together it's just like it's just a masterpiece and I'm just I'm just intrigued intrigued to see what happens but um yeah I think we'll do a little bit of spoilers for it because you haven't spoiled anything else have we we haven't done any other spoilers for anything else I don't think we have no we've been quite uh, quite careful so going from here spoilers I found it really interesting how you got Orso and you got Leo Leo and how also, kind of goes. He's he goes from unlikable to likable, and well, and that's not even that's not even that. He goes from irresponsible and lazy, yes, to being actually a pretty good leader and having sort of a bit of a backbone as a well. A bit of a back, grows, and gets a backbone, gets a spine, and then Leo goes from being the hero. I mean, to be fair, we reader reader always knew he was an arrogant twat. Yeah, but, but he kind of goes is this like this hero, this famous warrior. To his this disgraced rebel, and he's broken. He's like literally, he, yeah. he's physically broken. He's he's lost a leg. His other leg is crippled. Um, and it's fun. I I find it funny how his character is almost is almost quite similar to Glockter from the uh, first books. Who were Glockter's past? He was a war hero and spent so long in prison that and his legs were all messed up that he's yeah he's ended up having a huge limp and ultimately ended up in a wheelchair and kind of. Leo's followed a very similar route to his now father-in-law and it's kind of how the heroes have fallen and bro- been broken and sort of someone who we thought was a bit of a coward and a bit of a sop but we didn't dislike has kind of changed and become quite a bit more likeable and then the plot twists with uh, Ricky 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 Sticky Ricky yeah and how she tipped off also about the rebellion and then use that as a way to take over the north and take down Stour. And that bit with uh, where they where Clover turned on Stour and that that was a good little plot twist. There. That was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't see that coming either. No, I didn't. I completely forgotten about it at that point. And then again, like you said, the battle is really well done. It's it's interesting to see like the different threads weave through a story and know that there's still so many unanswered questions in a way mm-hmm. because there's Baez is off doing something in the west we don't know what don't know what he's doing and it's <coughs> going to be interesting to see what happens when he comes back and there's there's certain things set up in the first book that haven't been answered and now there's things going into the third book and yeah. Oh, and the bit where it turns out Pike is the um, is the weaver. He's yeah. he's the one who set up the uh, breakers and the burners, and he's planning revolution and for the people to rise up. It's like how are the what are the character the main characters going to do in the next book, and what's going to happen? Who's going to be in charge at the end? And it's just like if if the revolutionaries are successful what happens when Baez returns because he is not someone you mess with he's not going to be pleased no but what happens if they are successful or or what happens if the rebellion isn't successful what then happens and it's just yeah it's 
really interesting. And then, of course, what's happening in the north, what's going to happen in the north. But then, in the background, there's all this stuff going on in Gurkle in the south, where I forget the character, she was the, one of the main characters. Pharaoh Maldrin. Yes, because you know she's, she's probably, she's the, probably the perpetrator of all the chaos that's going on in the south, but no one's mentioned her. And I'm just, I'm like, is she going to come back? Is Logan going to come back? Because we know those characters from previous books might still be out there. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, but she's kind of crazy magical after the events of the previous books. We don't really know what happened to her. And then Logan just doesn't die. So it's just, it's just, I'm just curious to see are, are some of our favourite characters from the past going to make a resurgence? Or is that that stuff that's been hinted at but we don't really know what's going to happen is now going to be explored maybe in another series or some other spin-offs it's kind of there's stuff bubbling away in the background I'm like is the last book going to have enough time to explore all that or will there be more in the future I can't answer no I know you can't but yeah do, do you want to say any more in the spoiler section I find it hard to remember everything that happens I liked how the battles have changed so in the first Lord Trilogy, it was just, uh, we've, got, we've got swords, we've got spears, we've got whatever. And in this book, they've got cannons now. I have to admit, I was surprised, because I remember in the spin-offs, they started introducing the cannons. So I was kind of expecting we might start seeing primitive firearms in this, but it's just the cannons still. Yeah, and they're still crossbows. Yeah, or the flat bows, as they call them. Yeah. So you'd think that they would they would have got some like hand cannons, at least, by now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, never know. Who knows? But, yeah, it, yeah, it is interesting because, well, like I said, in that chapter, it's from perspective. It starts with someone who's loading the cannons, whereas we didn't have that in the previous books. And it's, yeah, it completely changes the battle because where's the bit where Leo and the others charge into the square and then they realise the barricade they went through was phony. There's an actual much stronger barricade and that's got a fuck ton of cannons. And then they get absolutely... Rinsed. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's that's a good point, how it kind of changes the dynamic of the battle. But, of course, there is still the gritty hand-to-hands. That's probably why, rather than the characters actually dying in that back-to-forward chapter, you've got them taking a shot, and whoever the shot, whoever's nearest to the shot is the next point-of-view character. Mm-hmm. Because it reigns combat is now taking a much more important role. But then, of course, as it goes on, then it changes that perspective to characters where they are dying, and then it swaps to the characters who killed them. And it's just interesting how it went. Again, he just somehow, he just, just does something slightly to change up that shifting perspective. Again, it's just so well written. Well, I think that kind of covers up, covers us for books. Yeah. Talking about TV, swapping to TV, I was going to say a long series that we've been watching for a long time is, uh, well, it's kind of ended, but kind of not. That's Peaky Blinders. Peaky season. Blinders. What did you make of it? Spoiler free at the moment. Spoiler free at the moment. I think I thought the final episode and the confrontation at the end. I thought I, th- I think the whole series could have been better. It's not my favourite series by a long shot. It all felt underwhelming. It was good, but it wasn't the best series. Sorry, season. It ticked a lot of the Peaky Blinder boxes. Like, there's lots of Peaky Blinders dressed up as Peaky Blinders walking around and lots of strong music. Not much else. But it sort of felt like there was something missing. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And I think... And I have a theory. I think that something missing was the late Helen McCrory. 
I think you're right. I think if she'd been there, the whole series would have been very different. Mm. And um, she's sadly not, sadly not with us anymore. And if her character Polly could have played a stronger part. Yeah, because they, um, they, in the first episode, they quickly sort of established a way that she, because unfortunately she had passed, that she wouldn't be in the next, or they established a way within the show to show that she wouldn't be present much in this um, new season. And, that, and, and it was amazingly acted, actually. Amazingly yeah. well done. Oh, the whole thing is... Yeah, it's very well acted. Like I said, the music was good. Though they didn't play Red Right Hand very often. They didn't at all. I think actually. they played it once. And I, I and even even in the final episode, they didn't play it. And I was kind of yeah, expecting it right at the end. Maybe, they, maybe it's been a copyright issue. I, I don't know. But you think, you think they would have, for a show that size and that good a budget, they probably would have. The BBC would have definitely found a way, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. And it's kind of the way... There were certain, certain aspects, which I'll go into a bit in spoilers... They, like, they tried introducing some new characters and felt a bit late and then kind of the because they've said they're going to do a movie but it's kind of it was advertised as the final season and the way it kind of ended it didn't feel like a final season it didn't feel like a final season it still felt like there's more and I know there's going to be a film but it kind of felt I still feel like we could get another season mm. out of this um, I don't really know how they're going to wrap it up in a film I don't even know where they're going to go with the film it was good the acting is still really great Killian Murphy Tommy the soundtrack is amazing the sets are amazing the costumes are amazing it's still good it was still enjoyable if you've seen all the, if you've seen the rest of Peaky Blinders give it a watch I wouldn't say give the whole season a watch a whole show a watch based on the season alone I would say give the whole show a watch because it's just generally amazing overall but I would say this season is one of the weaker elements it was one of the weaker seasons. Yeah, definitely. Don't really know how... Yeah. Enjoyable. Good acting and everything. But um, certain elements of it felt a bit lacklustre. Um, and almost like there could could have been a bit more to it. And the... Yeah, the ending is a bit ambiguous. I'll just leave it like that. But, uh, Moving on to some spoiler discussions. Yes, spoilers. I think... Part of part of the thing that didn't work was the whole Tommy Michael conflict. Yeah, he which, was in prison for which, most and then of he the was series. In prison. Michael was in prison for the majority of the series, and so when the final showdown came, it was happened, too easy. It was it, too easy for Tommy. It was very easy, and it was kind of very underwhelming. Yeah, it didn't feel like an epic showdown because there hadn't really been. There didn't even feel like there'd been much tension building. Because a lot of the season was more with Tommy in his mental state. Yeah. Rather than Tommy and Michael. Or just Tommy talking to someone. Or Tommy walking somewhere. Yeah. It was very Tommy-focused. Well, that's fine. Because Tommy's the most popular character. Yeah. And he is the main character. Yeah. But, (coughs) like, you want to see Peaky Blinders doing gang stuff. Having gang wars and, you know, getting a bit drunk and doing silly things. Why is he in Parliament? Why is he, you know, taking down the fascists? He kind of started to establish that in the previous season. Yeah, but that's not what we're here for. Yeah, I think, it's, it, I think it's... What are the best seasons? Would you say season two and season four are the two best seasons? Probably two, three and four, yeah. And they don't focus with political crap at all, do they? Not overly, no. No. That's the point I'm making. Yeah. But I think it's... Because uh, he's kind of shifted to that point where he's trying to do 
stuff in the light and then you still got the stuff in the dark going on and it's kind of like the, the parallels where he's doing the parliament stuff and trying to do the good but then there is still the gang related money related stuff going on which we barely see true but um, yeah it's and then the introduction of, like Duke uh, yeah he it, was very poorly used and it was I felt it was far too late for him to be introduced yeah. I was very um, confused why they just excommunicated Finn yes that was super like I get weird. he was useless I get he was literally hemorrhaging information to their enemies he was taken captive by some random prostitute he hired who turned out to be a spy for the Chinese and in the previous season and yeah he was useless I get that but there's no reason, like, by all means, saying you can't be involved with the business anymore, you're a liability. But there's no reason to kick him out of your family. But then also the thing with Duke was, literally the episode before, he was saying, I don't want to be involved in this, give me a horse and I'll go. To suddenly, yeah, I'm part of the Peaky Blinders now, haha, <laughs> I've got to go and listen to me and do what I say. It was a very sudden shift. Yeah, he went from being this, like, country boy who was brought in just because he's... Tommy Selby's bastard and suddenly he's the leader of the gang and I'm like I got what mm. so yeah that was that was very bizarre that being said all the Ruby stuff was very very sad and incredibly well, well, well acted but like, then again that was it was funny because like you say there was a lot of the focus was on that and then you had the sort of parliament bits and then you didn't have much of the gang stuff yeah well yeah you're quite right although I will not counteract my own point because it was amazingly well acted oh yeah no I completely agree you're, you're right it, it was not maybe, I can't really say there was too much of it but it could have between that and the parliament fascist kind of side we didn't see much peaky blindedness no and then even when we did it was a lot of the time it was kind of Arthur being a, a bit pushover yeah Arthur was kind of a bit but until the final episode he was kind of a bit useless and a yep. bit annoying in this season yep it's, yeah, it's funny, like, characters we, we loved and know and love, and, like, some of them just didn't really work as well in this season. Like, Michael had been quite a good character and then was barely in it for most of the season. Arthur was kind of just drunk and high high and annoying for most of the season. Finn didn't really do a lot until suddenly... He's excommunicated. Yeah, and I was like, well, he was barely in it. I didn't really... I didn't even understand it. And then... We've got this new character introduced very last minute and suddenly he has a big important role, but I don't think it really works. And yeah, it's very... Certain aspects were bizarre and kind of didn't work or didn't really flow. But again, it, it was good. It was enjoyable. And the way it ended was... Like you said, the way it ended where it turned out the um, Doctor had lied to him and they tried to began, had tried to convince Tommy that he was dying and so he kill himself and then he realises they lied to me that was that was a really good plot twist at the end well it was a good plot twist I give you that why would you do use that why would you have this elaborate plot to try and get Tommy to kill himself just shoot him well, I think it's because I think they did have a line where it's like the only person you and, and who will finish who, who will end Tommy Shelby will kill Tommy Shelby it's Tommy Shelby yeah, yeah it was it was good acting and but yeah again the end of the, it ends ambiguously it's like I don't see how they're going to finish this in just a movie no which made me wondering why they're like they advertise it as the final season and it doesn't feel very final seasony well I guess they've got to have a reason for a movie haven't they yeah 
but I kind of they've set up certain things and I don't know how they're going to just pull it off in a what an hour and a half two hour movie but who knows overall it was quite enjoyable but I think I'm with you I think there were previous seasons that were better I'm glad I watched it and again some of the acting was phenomenal and do you also want to talk about Arcane I mean <laughs> you're very far behind on watching it but yeah we can touch on it because I'm very happy that you finally freaking watched it after I've, I've finished it I know <laughs> I'm very happy about that but it took you goddamn long enough <laughs> Don't you long enough? Well, I didn't start it until <laughs> for a long time, and then when I did start it, I binge watched it very quickly because it was so good. It is so good. Right, it it does take. I think it takes the first couple of episodes, and then there's a shift and there's a time skip, and you can, and it really picks up after that. Well, I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Wait, a time skip? Oh my god, it's even better. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed the first few episodes, but it's after those first few. That then it suddenly has this shift, and you're like, oh, "Thank you very much. This is good." Yeah. Although, actually, there's something I want to talk about in the spoiler section. Well, how to talk? Oh, arcane. The arcane. It's based off League of Legends, the video game. However, the lore, the lore of it, you don't have to have played. I've never played the game. You've never played any of it. Don't don't care for it. Probably it's not my sort of game, it. really. But what they've done with these, the, some of the characters they pulled from that and made this TV series, you don't need to know anything about the game because I certainly didn't and I freaking love the show. Yeah. And the music, soundtrack is phenomenal. Animation, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Story, great. The writing is writing, so good. Great characters, great. Animation, spot on. So good. Um, it's basically, there's this city, there's like the... It's split by a river, and on one side of the river it's very poor, and the other side's very rich, and that's and that conflict is a massive driving point behind pretty much the whole story. Yeah, and then it focuses around two sisters um, who come from the poor side of the city, poor side of the family, and then they kind of, through circumstances, they kind of end up on opposite sides of almost like a war. Yeah, and it's kind of how their relationship develops and changes through that and then there's a bunch of other characters some who are from the richer side of the city and some who are from the poorer and they're both trying to do what they feel is right for the city I wouldn't say they're <coughs> although they're, they're actually it's a clear antagonist several actually but most of the characters are just trying to do their own thing mm. they're not particularly good or particularly bad I would call them like, like grey characters in a way because you couldn't very you yeah. couldn't say you're definitely a good guy at the same like, time, you couldn't say you're a bad person. You're there's, a bad like, guy. there's like one of the characters who you think you would kind of class as the main antagonist, but you start to see like his motivations and reasoning for why he's doing what he's doing. And it's like, oh, you're actually trying to do what you think is right. Yeah. And I think everyone is. You don't really have people who are just bad for the sake of being bad. No, there's no like clear, you are the evil person. It's it, evil, <laughs> good, they don't really exist. You, everyone has a bit of both inside them. Yeah. Some maybe more than others, I suppose. But yeah. So it's like you said, it is the, there is the grey aspect. Yeah, and I, that's really smart. I really like that. Yeah. And then the intro song is Imagine Dragons, so of course. Like, it is so good. Yeah. But it, it, like I said... The I rest, never skipped it. I'm just like, I've got to hear yeah. it again. Like the rest of the soundtrack, like after I finished the ser- series, I went on Spotify and just... I mean, <laughs> I, I'm still listening to it. Like a, a certain number of the songs have ended up on my playlist, but so, so well done. I mean, how how heavy into spoilers do you want to go? Because there's quite a lot to cover with it. So we start, so start the spoilers and just do a bit. 
Because I want to talk about two things that, that confused me, and then you might be able to help me with Okay. So, you spoiler can. discussion for Arcane right here at that time. So, I won't say it in case you cut it, and then people will be like, what's he talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'll put it in the timestamp as I always do. Okay, first question. What the fuck is Heimerdinger? He looks like a little fucking cocker spaniel. What is, what is that? Why does no one in the whole series ever mention that there's this other non-human race that look like walking cocker spaniels? And then one of them's on, on the political council and he's just there and no one questions this. No one questions that he's like this thing. I don't know. Because I think his race is just part of the law, and, and I get that. But why? But the, the, the writers—they're so good. They're really good writers. No one thinks to, to say we should probably establish this thing. Uh, that's a classic rule in writing. If you want to use something, you got to establish it. You can't just come out of the blue and say, "Oh, we have crab people now." That's why you hated that because they weren't established. And they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, crab people," and that—that's really bad. So here they go. Oh yeah, by the way, this thing. <laughs> And you're just like, wait, what? I think it's because it, well... It's kind but of that first scene where he appears, when Jason's in the prison cell, and you hear someone walk in, and you're like, oh, who's it going to be? And this little head pops around, you're like, what? <laughs> I don't know, I think it's, I guess it's just part of the world that... There Maybe are... if I was already familiar with the character, I'd understand it yeah, a lot more. that's the thing, I, did, I, was, I didn't, I wasn't too... Because he's kind of really the only one who's like that, but it's kind of established he's like hundreds of years old. So yeah. I just guess it's kind of like this rare race who live in this world who they live for a long time but there aren't that many of them but he was I think he was an interesting and good character regardless I didn't get super hung up on it he's the only one why, why is this, 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 <laughs> I just wasn't to mention it I was like why, why is this thing here? yeah I, did, I didn't get super hung up on that either. the other thing that confused me after the time skip you, you, the Firelights raid one of um, Silco Sitman's yeah, and one of the firelights looks a bit like uh, V. Yeah, Vi even. Sorry, who's Jinx's and, sister? And Jinx kills her for it. And I got really confused. I I just looked away for a second or whatever because I thought that was Vi. No, it was just someone who happened to look like. Her. Yeah, so I, I thought it was Vi. I thought she was injured in that fight. No, so what happens is they do. Yeah, like I know. I know. I, I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware. She's arrested. Uh, 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 twenty however many years prior, and it's that's like a like a freeze shot where and then it just looks like Vi. Yeah. Um. So I got confused. I didn't realize that when Caitlin goes and gets Vi out of prison, that she'd been there all those years. I thought she'd only just been put in there today. I was very confused. Yeah. So the premise is there's these two kids from the poorer side who get adopted by this guy who owns a bar, but Vander, Vander, who's kind of badass, but then stuff happens and the- I really like that bit where he goes over to the people threatening that weedy guy and he's like you gotta leave him alone they're like or what and he's like bit of word of advice in a place like this don't threaten the guy who pours the drinks oh, such a good line <laughs> <laughs> and he's sort of like all over the whole bars all staring at them yeah all right fair enough <laughs> but yeah so then it, the kind of story revolves around these two sisters and how they kind of end up in conflict with each other after certain circumstances leads to a rift between them but it's just yeah it's so it's so interesting it's just again the way it ended perfectly sets it up for a season two yeah definitely it's just and it's so well animated and it's like even like the certain scenes and everything how the music plays along this so like where they're walking from some of the characters they've just left the richer area of the city and they're going back into the poor area and as they were sort of walking through it this music starts to play and it kind of 
it's just them sort of walking down the alleys and everything. You're seeing all the weird, bizarre stuff that goes on in the sort of underbelly of the city. And the music in the background, it just works really well. And then some of the fight scenes, the music that starts up with those, again, it's great. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's such a good series. Even like, if you don't like animation, like, um, I just recommend you to watch it because it's, it's <laughs> so good. So well done. I can't, I think the next season's going to be out end of this year start of next year so hopefully oh not long to go then. I, I think like season 2 was literally announced as soon as season 1 finished that like, yeah, season 2 is coming yeah it was hugely popular it was like Netflix number 1 almost instantly and for a long time and it, it reached like headlines and stuff because of how well done it had done it's just phenomenal yeah that's TV shows well don't know about you, but I'm going to talk about some Horizon. <laughs> You've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for this. I'm not going to go super deep because I, I could play spend. <coughs> well, you haven't played it, but I could spend like a good Hours. half an hour, hour talking about this game. My Can God, we... go ahead. I release you. Is, is it freaking gorgeous? <laughs> is is a beautiful game? The beautiful game. You're talking about Aloy, aren't you? No, I'm just talking about the <laughs> oh, the the. the, the facial animation quality of the characters it's like watching a film like you compare the first game to this game it's just like the level of detail on these characters faces is phenomenal and like when it you can tell it must have all been mo-capped because like the way they move the way they express themselves through movement and when they're talking they're like waving their hands and moving around and everything it's just so expressive Rather than it kind of being more wooden, they're just standing there talking at you. They look like potato heads of Oblivion. Yeah. yeah. Do, you mean by, do, you mean, do you know what I mean by that? Sort of, yes. You played Oblivion. <laughs> uh, I haven't played it, but I remember watching my uncle play a bit of it. Yeah. It's not like that at all. It's Good. expressive and alive and emotive and everything. Will you help me find my lost job over potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a quote from Oblivion. Okay. Sorry, I'll let you continue. And just. The brightness of the world is so colourful. Like literally, you got the opening cutscene, and then you're you're you shift to the gameplay. I'm just like panning the camera around, like wow, wow. It's like the water looks. It's like it's the best water graphics I've ever seen. Aloy, <laughs> <laughs> hey, help monsters! This is really nice water, Aloy. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's visually absolutely stunning. It's just it just massive. Like I love the first game. The first game was stunning. And they've just gone and blown it out of proportion this time around. It's just even, it's even, I thought the first game was stunning when I played it. Second game, there's just so much more detail. And it just shows by the power of the PlayStation 5. I've seen, even seen it on PS4 and it still looks amazing. But just Guerrilla Games, you've made a beautiful, beautiful game. <laughs> <coughs> um, story. I I just I just love this world. I love getting lost in this world. Like every dialogue caption, option with characters, I will explore them because I just want to know more about this world. Um, it leans more into the sci-fi element. This one oh. it explores more sci-fi, whereas the other one was, of course, a lot of sci-fi in the first one, but it had a lot more of the tribal element. This oh, again, I would have liked to have seen more of the tribal cultures. But that's the thing. This 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 introduces quite a lot more tribes oh. into it so how many tribes are in, not including the tribes from the first game how many tribes are in this one there's three new tribes and in the first one not including the DLC there was four four 
So there's not more. Um, I think there's like possible rumours to other ones, but okay. um, yeah, that's without going to super spoilers. But yeah, there is quite a lot of sci-fi elements to this. But again, you've got all these new tribes to explore and you're Aloy, you're exploring the Forbidden West. And just one, so at the start of the game, there's kind of like a prologue, which is slightly more on rails. You're kind of going through a section with um, you and another character and they're discussing some of the stuff that happened in the previous game. Um, and you do that and then you kind of, after that, you go into a sort of starting area, which is fairly big in its own regard and there's quite a lot of side quests and main quests and other activities to do there but after a certain point in the story the world just opens up and once I got to that I was just playing that I was like running through a desert area with this giant ruin of an ancient war machine just behind me and I was like running through this and I'm just like this is awesome I just had this massive smile on my face because I'm just like I feel like I'm on a journey. <laughs> I, I'm literally on a journey right now. This world is so huge. I opened up the map and I was like, there's still so much, so much more for me to discover. And I'm just at the tip of the iceberg here. And I'm just like, this is so cool. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, do you remember you told me when, when you went to Amsterdam and you went to the Guerrilla Games' headquarters? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, 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 and you played with that, was it a watcher, a robot? Yeah, they had the, like, the statue of the watcher uh, in the... Um, yeah. And I was like, uh, like, because I dragged um, my family along. I was like, I want to go see it because it's my favorite game studio. And and my mum was poking her head through the door and she activated the um, the door sensors that they opened. And they're like, do you want to come in? And they're like, can we? And they're like, yeah. It's like, can I get a picture with it? And like, it turns on. I was like, it turns on. <laughs> <laughs> and it did, and it moved and everything. I was like, my mum took some pictures and like. You just see how much I've, I've like got the mass, like the biggest smile like ever. Kid in the candy store, <laughs> quite literally. I was like, I was so happy. Unfortunately, I think they've actually moved their headquarters now. They're not mm. there anymore, so they're somewhere else in Amsterdam. But that was so cool to see. Eventually, they'll probably sell that moving robot, probably for a lot of money. But yeah. if you're super rich by then, whereas when they were doing promotion for this one, they had um, some of the new machines, claw striders. They had like statues, and they had some around. They had a few around London. They had one at the Waterloo Station. Oh. And then they had others in some other cities to, like, promote the game. I, I didn't... You should have gone up to Waterloo. That took you 40 minutes from here. I, I, Not even I, that. I didn't have the time to just go do that just by itself because I had no other reason to go up to London. Um, but funnily enough, my sister was passing through Waterloo and sent me a picture. It's like, do you know what this is? And I was like, yes, that's my favourite game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. I love that, like... What the hell is that? Henry, what is yeah. this? She's like, this is a PlayStation thing. Do you know what it is? It's like, a PlayStation yes. thing. <laughs> yes, I, I love do. that so much. Um, yeah, it's, it, the game is just, again, the combat's super fun. You've got a bunch of new machines, combat. And it's the thing, the thing what, they've improved, they've taken elements from the first game that need improving, and they've improved it in this game. It, it, it is the right way to do a sequel it is the next step up not everything's perfect there are certain elements I would have done differently or I think it's changed like what one one in particular unless I've missed this feature is you you can now get outfit dies okay. but every time you want to change the die you have to go to a specific vendor for them to then change the die and I think we were spoiled with Ghost of Tsushima where you could just do that in the um you could just in go the menu. In, you in, the menu. in the menu, you could just pick the die and just change it. As long as you've already bought it, yeah. 
Um, and that's the well, not to. even though you've bought it, you then still have to pay a tiny amount again to change the outfit color. And I was like, I suppose that makes sense from a realism perspective. Yeah, but I I, I liked the Ghost of Tsushima method. Um, and I like, yeah, I, I I kind of wish that had been in there. They have improved the melee combat in this game, but it's still very much a ranged combat focused game. I mean, you can use melee combat it's more effective on human enemies than machines but trying to pull off some of the combos is a, I just found a bit difficult and a bit annoying at times and just I just use the bow and just headshot people although they've made it more difficult in this game because some characters wear armour so you have to take off the armour so it makes it does it's made the human combat a bit more challenging that's quite funny though actually like um, <coughs> Aloy goes to headshot someone it bounces off their armour yeah it does yeah. and then all the counts in the first game are all like that meme and they're like yeah it's like wait could, wait that was could, an option yeah that was an option I could have got any piece of rusty metal and there's thousands of them around I just put them on my face and I've been, I've been fine yeah um, and then they were like you have to for some like, I've pla- it, I've finished the game and I've platinum the game I think it took me it took about 40, 45 hours to... Pre-standard. Um, finish the story in about oh. 67 six, or 60, so, like 60, 65 to platinum it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a fairly lengthy game. Granted, I was doing a lot of, like, side quests and side content yeah. as well. I didn't just breeze through the story because I got so invested in it. That's the thing. great thing is, like, the, the side quests are, again, another aspect that's really improved. They're, like they are really interesting stories and you get to meet really interesting characters and go explore other stuff. Um, <coughs> yeah, apart from like the die thing and the outfit changes, one of my only other slight gripes is... Oh my God, heavy criticising the horizon? It's only a slight gripe. Is that, in a way, it was advertised that... So in the first game, AI, she's kind of a loner, she's an outsider, and so a lot of the first game, she is by herself. Whereas in this one, she's kind of established relationships and friendships. And the trailers kind of made it seem like you'd get to spend more time with some of her friends and you'd be doing cool, you'd be doing quests together. So you'd get to know and these characters would develop more. And you do get to do some side quests with these characters and they're really fun and enjoyable. But then the problem is there's kind of like this hub base area that opens up at some point and a lot of the side characters end up there. And if you're going to interact with them, it's just going through dialogue options, which for me is great because I, I just fucking love the world and love these characters. And I, of course, I pick all of them because I want to hear what they have to say. But a lot of it is just that you only have a few missions with them. And I kind of wish there was more missions where you got to do have, stuff with these Yeah, characters. got to do stuff and have these conversations rather than, okay, I, I'm going to sit here for five minutes with you whilst to hear about what you've been doing recently and what you think on this matter. Could okay. you finish your last story a bit earlier, please, and go do the exact same thing with that next person oh, over yeah, there? Oh, yeah, but that's the thing. It was it was pretty much like that. And granted, I love the world. I'm investing in the world. I'm investing in the characters. So I want to hear everything. But I can see why people didn't like it. And that, that people aspect, online saying they didn't like it then. They didn't like that aspect. And I kind of that element I kind of agree because I wanted to go out in the world and be with these characters it doesn't have to be all the main story but it can be like some side quests and some main missions we get to do together and, but whereas just having them in this area waiting for you to pass by it's kind of like I think that that bit could have been done slightly different but then 
yeah, overall, I just, like, I just got lost in the world. I think even by the time I finished in Platinum Dip, I'm only at like just over 50% completion. And oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big game. There's loads of side activities, exploration and everything. And the combat is super fun. And I haven't even like unlocked any of the best, best armors in the game yet. And <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going back to it as soon because it's just such a fun game. Um, and yeah, I waited years for it. I'm going to be almost 30 probably by the time the next one's out. But I, I, I guarantee there is going to be either one or two DLC for it. <laughs> and I will be, You'll first be buying in, them. I will be buying, I'll be first in line to pre-order those. Uh, yeah. Horizon, Forbidden West. Freaking amazing. <laughs> Absolutely love it. In case you can't tell, Henry has been hired by Guerrilla Games to talk about I, I wish. I wish. Give me whiskey and hire me. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough of me gushing about Horizon. Uh, anything else do you want to talk about, Tom? Or I know we've got some subjects lined up for the next episode. Which yeah, I think lots of what I want to talk about. You said wait for next. Yeah. Next time. Well, because one of them's a game where you're quite far into it, whereas I've only just started. We just it. started it. So and I that's think, Pokemon Desert Arceus. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk a lot more about that in the next episode. Because and you've got some reading to catch up on. Yes, I mean. Because hopefully you'll have a chance to pick up. Got Doug Pleasant until the end by yes. Derek Landy. Yeah, which has just come that's out. Just come out as time of recording this. But yeah, um, any other bits you want to mention, or shall we start to? I think we should wrap up. Cool. Well, Blantons certainly interesting to try. Yeah. I mean, we're about a third of the way, if not yeah. slightly more, through the bottle. So it's easy drinking. It's yeah. easy going. It's going down very easily. Yeah. It can be quite good to have in your home and if you've got friends around and they're like, they're asking you about it, you say, do you want to try some? I think it'd be quite safe to like give it to them and they'd be like a good start of what, bourbon maybe. Possibly. Yeah, or they might start them if, if they don't. Maybe do start them on something cheaper. cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is fair. Yeah, I'm glad we tried it. Yeah. I mean, if I got another bottle, I wouldn't be... Upset. And like I say, I think it does. I'm sorry, but I like this bottle more than the Nakneen bottle. It wins the prettiest award. Well, bottle we'll, we'll on our wait. podcast. I have to wait and see. Because, well, Nakneen was 2021. We're on 2022. We might oh, still have nicer bottles. I, this one's a very strong contender for the prettiest bottle challenge. Mm. Well, uh, shall we wrap it up there? Yes. I've got plenty more to read for the next time. So. I've got plenty more to do. Yep. Well. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Henry. See you guys next time.